Good morning. Good to see you here today. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, we're Not because, but we are. I'm excited we're taking a break, is what I was going to say. We are taking a break from 1 Corinthians this morning, and I'm excited for the reason we're taking a break. We are officially launching, or whatever term you want to use, implementing deacons. That's a major step for a church to take, I know. Um, it's important for us to understand, we, we want to be intentional in every way as a church to be biblical. If, if possible, to open our Bibles and see the church, we want to be that in the context of Monroe and West Monroe. And so we're taking time this morning just to work through some scripture and to have a good understanding of what a deacon is, instead of just saying, okay, we have deacons now, so we can call ourselves a church. It's like it's one more step. We're officially a church now. Um, that's not what it's about. And so hopefully this morning we have some, some clarity as to what a deacon is, but also my hope is that if you are a member of the crossing, you would be evaluating and considering yourself uh, for the possibility of being a deacon. And so we're going to start by reading in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, these, are, these are lists of qualifications uh, for the two offices in the church an elder, an overseer, uh, what these qualifications are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So in a bit, we're going to see some distinctions between elders and deacons. That's why it's the purpose of reading that passage. But for today's purposes, this next section is the qualifications of deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also gain or also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I praise you that even in passages such as this one where we find a list of qualifications, no, no great exhortation or, or rebuke, nothing that seems immediately applicable, but just a list. I pray that you would somehow show us that even this word as all of your word, is applicable and is beneficial and will, in fact, cut deep so that we can have the surgeon work in us 
that we could be made better, made stronger as your people. I praise you for this body gathered here this morning that it's not just a thing we do, but it's a desire to, to gather together with the people of God to praise our King, longing for you to move and work in us that your spirit uh, would, would continue to sanctify us as we believe again and again and repent again and again. I pray this morning as we work through what a deacon is, that, uh, that this not be a lecture, but it be a proclamation of truth that would change lives, that we'd find great motivation in your love and a, a pursuit of joy in who we are in you, that we would leave this building and be the church every day of the week. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm actually very excited about this. I was thinking through it. Was, how, how good of a sermon, however you want to qualify good, it, would it be to preach on deacons? I just, I've had that thought. But then as I started thinking about service to the church and the purposes of serving the church, I began to get really excited about it. So my hope is that you will be with me all the way through it. Uh, so first, let's consider every... Every human institution, everything that we establish, whether it be a, a team or a, a school or business or whatever it is, anything you would call an organization is just that, an organization of something we didn't personally create. It's just an organization, not an organism. Does that make sense? So everything we institute as human beings is an organization of what God has created and every assembly of people is still just an organization except for the church. And, and I, I put it that way because considering the church as an organism, something we, we can't create as humans, only God can create organisms, it's something special. It's something unique in, in all of creation, in all of the world. This organism, the church, is us joined together, made up of individuals classified in this way, a group of people, not just organized together, but connected, bound together in one spirit and through Christ, unified in Christ. And the church functions as an organism, but we also need some organization. We need some structure in order to grow and to function well together, every part of the body playing its part. And the need for structure presents itself in, in the church in, in different ways, but Elders to oversee and deacons to serve are these two offices given by God to this organism he has created for the purpose of the mission he's given to the church. So we see mission with our, our proverbial eyes. That's part of the body. We, we go on mission with our feet as a part of the body. We, we work on mission with our hands. You get the picture I could go on. There's different parts of the body working together on this mission, but we're one organism. We're one body of Christ. And so... On this mission, we continue to adjust and to grow, and, and we have to keep doing that in order to see the, the kingdom grow. The Spirit empowers the gospel-centeredness of the church. We're motivated to love one another, to love others, and to love God ultimately because he first loved us. And it's not so much that, that God has given us a mission. In fact, he's given us to the mission. As we read the New Testament, we see most clearly that the Lord has the mission. He's always had the mission. And he's given the church to it. In other words, God provided a church for his mission, not a mission for his church. Therefore, it would be inappropriate for us to redefine it or restructure it 
to fit our needs and our desires. Instead, we restructure, we fit how, how God has designed it all. And so that's, that's, a, the mat, that's the means of contextualization. So when we consider our context and what Monroe needs and what this area needs, we have the church. There's the mission. God has built us. He's equipped us. He's pieced us together. He's even given us this structure to function well on this mission. So everything we could ever need is right here for everything God has called us to. And it just so happens this omniscient Lord thought of everything. And the word of God in itself is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that every man and every woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we have to consider not just what do we have, but why do we have it? What is our ultimate aim? What is the reason we are implementing a deacon process? Why are we doing this? It's, it's got to be more than just because we have to. Because if, if it's just we have to, obedience surely is important. But if it's just we have to, then we'll, we'll get into all kinds of trouble trying to make it fit where it shouldn't have fit. So is it because we have to? Or is it because we desire all people to enjoy Christ always by following him and being changed by his gospel? That is the vision of the Crossing Church, that we desire all people to enjoy Christ always by following him and being changed by his gospel. That's why we're having deacons, right? It connects. Deacons help with this vision. We see it. The mission's there. God has given us what we need. He's commanded it. So certainly there's obedience. But we want to see Christ worship and enjoy. The church is given to the mission because there's a need. And deacons are given to the church because there's a need. This is a God-given remedy to the present issues, the problems we have in functioning as the church. Have deacons. So, we aren't just getting deacons because the Bible says so because then we would just fall, fall apart trying to figure out what deacons are supposed to do. In fact, we see this play out over and over again. Churches, okay, we, ha- we have to have deacons, so let's get deacons. Here's a deacon team. Now, what do they do? I don't know. Let's have them meet once a week, okay? And then they can complain about their preferences and slander the pastor. Unless he's there, then just passively, aggressively talk about him and gossip about other church members, you know, things deacons do. When, when they get time, they can yell at kids for running in the church of God and teenagers for wearing shorts and hats in the house of the Lord. You know, be cranky. That's got to be one of the qualifications. Wear a sports coat. No matter where you are, always wear a sports coat. And then, of course, they also will hand out the stuff for communion and take up offering, but that's less important than the other things. It's everything... The deacons seem to represent this board of, of decision makers uh, is more structured like a business than it is the church. And I think it, it compels us. I'm not, I mean, I, I laugh at those things, but it's all real. Personal experience. Like, it actually happened to me. I, re- I remember as a child being yelled at by this scary old man, Mr. Turner. You do not run in the house of the Lord. I learned my lesson. I didn't really. I ran all the time. Point is, that's not a deacon. You can call yourself a deacon. You can wear the name tag. You can brag about it to your friends. You can tell that story that ends with, and her dad was a deacon. Whatever. What are we talking about? 
What are we doing? Well, the, script, the Scriptures give us a good picture um, that, that shows all of that's ridiculous. Instead of getting deacons and then trying to figure out what they do, we have deacons because there's a present need. And in Acts chapter 6, we see this very clearly. Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. This is the early church having the same problems that every church plant has, trying to figure out how to solve the problems, and this is how they do it. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greek Christians, arose against the Hebrew Christians because their widows, the Greek widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. So there's some some racial things going on here. The, the Greek Christians are being neglected by the Hebrews, uh, but we're not going to get to that. Just fun fact if you want to look into it. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Okay. Now, this word serve is the Greek word diakonos. You might figure out what we get from that. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry, interestingly, also diakonos, the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose, and the list goes, deacons. So they chose these specific people to do this specific task because the church had a specific need. The book of Acts is interesting because often it's, it's descriptive rather than prescriptive, though there's certainly both. And in this instance, I think it's, there's sufficient evidence to say it's descriptive. It's a narrative of what happened. Luke is just writing, here's what happened in this situation. But obviously, it's in the Word of God. It's good for us to read and consider, and it's certainly applicable and and how to establish deacons. What's clear from this passage is that the church's elders, the servant leaders, needed some lead servants. This, the apostles in this passage, verse 4, the apostles, the 12, minus Judas plus Matthias, subsequently other leaders in the church, we'll, we'll see as we read in 1 Timothy 3, need, these, these church leaders need deacons in order to devote so that they can devote themselves to ministry of the word. Deacons are necessary in this example to serve the Hellenist widows, but also, in general, the service of the church. It seems evident that it's an official position, a.k.a. an office of the church. Scripture typically doesn't focus on titles as much as function, but we see the function pretty clearly, and, and title is established in 1 Timothy 3 when we have this list of qualifications for a specific title, a deacon, and we'll look more at that in just a bit. But first, let's consider a more, uh, the biblical form and function of deacons. So I mentioned this word, diakonos. I don't typically share with you the actual Greek word. I just say the original language says this because it doesn't usually matter. But this word sounds a lot like the word we're talking about. It's where we get the, the office title, deacon. Diakonos appears about 29 times in the New Testament, but very rarely is it actually translated deacon. Most often it's servant or minister. Or if it's a verb like it just was, it's ministry or service. And so those are both nouns, I realize. 
minister or, you know what, this is not grammatical, it doesn't matter. Of the 29 times we find it in Scripture, uh, we conclude at least three or four of them are an official title, um, but you could go broader. Different translators choose different methods. It's not as important as understanding the root of the term is ministry. The purpose of the term is service. And so some appearances, just to give you an idea of, of applying them to people, the Apostle Paul is referred to as a minister of the gospel several times, a minister of the gospel and to the church. Ephesians 3, 7, Colossians 1, 23 and 25 are a few examples. Apollos is a servant through whom faith can be seen in 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Epaphras is called a faithful minister of Christ. That's Colossians 1, 7. Tychicus is a faithful servant and minister in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 21, Colossians 4, 7. Timothy is a servant, a minister, a co-worker of God. That's also a possible translation, co-worker of God in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. Phoebe is called a servant of the church in Centria, and that's Romans 16, 1. And then also in a more general sense, even kings and those in governmental authorities are considered servants of God, and that's Romans 13, 4. And of course, Christ became a servant for all, Romans 15, 8, and Philippians chapter 2. And we read that to start the service. And then in all of this, in every sense of the word, every Christian changed by the gospel is made into a minister of reconciliation and a servant of God in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3.6 and 5.18. So this word appears often, and you've read it often. But what exactly does it mean? And who exactly holds this official title? It's worth asking if we're going to try and establish this as a church. This, this Acts 6 passage provides a purpose, not just an appearance of the word, but a purpose of deacons freeing the elders from certain acts of service. In this example, serving tables in order to devote themselves to prayer and the diakonos of God's Word. So even in their devotion away from serving tables, they're still serving through the Word of God. And it says specifically in that passage, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This is not saying that serving tables is something that just anybody can do. In fact, there's a gift they're seeking out who's qualified for this. It's not just, we don't have time for that, let somebody else do it. It's not the, the elders being lazy or thinking they're too high of a, of a position to, to do this humble act. This is God's body working together, demonstrating that every member of the body has a purpose. And every member of the body is gifted in different ways to share the leadership of the church for the health of the church for the proclamation of the gospel, for the expanding of the kingdom. It's all together. It all has purpose. That's why it's ridiculous to, to reduce deaconism to, to yelling at kids. It's so much more beautiful. It's so much more wonderful. It, it works together for something far beyond making sure nobody runs or nobody wears shorts or the marginalized people get scared off because they can't worship with us holy people, so we've got to make sure they're, they're shamed right? It's, it's so strange how things can be so twisted when we go about it apart from what the Word of God commands. Instead, 
Everyone is gifted in a particular way. Romans 12, 6 through 8 demonstrates this well or explains this well. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy and in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In this way, we function as a healthy body to the glory of the gift giver. We'll talk more about this as we get into 1 Corinthians 12, I don't know, a year from now, whenever we get there. But it's important to note that just because you're gifted in a certain way doesn't mean that's all you do. It means you're leading in that. So we all, we all though we're not all hands, we all do the work. Though we're not all feet, we all go. Though we're not all mouthpieces, we all teach and proclaim truth to one another. There are some, though, who are gifted more so than others to strengthen the body as one organism in that, in that thing. So in a very real sense, whatever your gift is, I share in that. Because you're strong in this area, our church is strong in that area. Every individual member of the church is necessary for this body, and God puts us together with purpose. And for some... They're particularly gifted at serving. So deacons, as an office, are gifts to the church, distinguished from elders, and that they are not the governing body of the church. In, in particular, the crossing church will not have deacons as governing bodies. Rather, they are charged with the duty of serving not with the duty of authoritatively teaching God's word or casting vision or setting the direction of the church, though some may aspire to being an elder, and so we may have some deacons preach, but they're, they're aspiring to be an elder. The qualifications are very similar with the exception of teaching. And so, deacons are not elders, but they are leaders in the sense they, that they model servant leadership, and the servant identity that's so true to us as a, as a body of believers, specifically as a Soma church, which is another Greek word that means body. So I just said the same thing twice. The, and then all of this is in, in the model of our Savior. I mean, He is the suffering servant. He is the servant king. He is the one who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. The ministry of deacons is service to the church, and it's overseen by the elders. So while elders are seen as servant leaders, we find it beneficial and appropriate and, and necessary to consider deacons lead servants. And these are the offices of the church, servant leaders, lead servants. Now, it's somewhat controversial, but certainly not unique to us, fitting well within the, the space of complementarism and, and the view of script, that's the view of Scripture that, that biblically men and women are equal in value but distinct in their role. And they play this out in many ways. It's established in creation with Adam and Eve, distinct in role, but very equal in every way to God in value. They serve in different ways. We believe, unlike the role of elder, the second church office of deacon has no strong biblical evidence reserving the role explicitly for men. So women serving as deacons is, is a good thing. In fact, it's reinforced in, in this 1 Timothy 3, 11, 
where it says deacons' wives. We could easily translate this women deacons or deaconesses because the Greek word for wife is the same Greek word for women. Woman and wife. For this, like that's When I introduce Amelia to people, I don't say this is my wife. I just say this is my woman. I'm just kidding. I don't really. I mean, I could. You guys get it. And in that same way, context determines the translation. So that's why it's often translated wife. And that's why some would argue that it's just a, qualifi- a list of qualifications for the wives of deacons. But I would ask, and I think it's a reasonable question, if we're going to give qualifications for deacons' wives, why is there no qualifications for the elders' wives when an elder is a position that holds greater authority? I think it's a reasonable question. And if it can easily be translated in that way, why not lean into that benefit and consider Phoebe in, in Romans 16.1, who was called a servant minister to the church? This is the word of God. And the early church fathers, and as, as early as the second century, Clement and Origen, they were writing of their deacons and included women in their list of deacons. So they, they so close to the establishment of the church, seemed to think women could be deacons. So for us, there is sufficient evidence along with no biblical contradiction. This is key. There's no biblical contradiction concerning the role of women and the role of deacon. In no way do they contradict. So, so the elders of the Crossing Church encourage women to serve as deacons. And it's not only a permissible thing, but we believe it's to the benefit of our church. We believe it's integral to the health of the Crossing Church that women and their unique giftedness serve in a, a large variety of leadership roles. It makes us healthier. And that includes Deacon, so in no way does this usurp or infringe upon the headship of the elders, which we do believe biblically, there's, in, no matter what the context is, that it goes all the way back to Adam as the head of the household, that the heads of the church, and these are under shepherds because we all know Christ is the head of the church. He is the shepherd, that elders should be men. And so, the, so elders and deacons are both biblical offices of leadership, the church are the church have distinct complementary roles. Elders are men who provide leadership through the service of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, praying and leading the church. And elders have this, this weight of responsibility because elders stand before the Lord on behalf of their people. But deacons are appointed by elders or men and women who meet the biblical qualifications that we're about to read through again in 1 Timothy 3 to serve the church and lead others by serving are serving by example. So to be sure, I know it's a tad bit controversial, so to be sure, if there's any, any issue with any of that, please do not talk behind our backs about it. Come talk to our faces. We desire to have a healthy church. It's always our desire to do everything necessary to see the Crossing Church flourish, to every member of this church to be healthy so that we as a body can be healthy. Please bring it to us. This is, these aren't decisions made on a whim. It's prayerfully considered. And, and I'll be more frank with you face-to-face, too. <laughs> Just got to throw that out there. To be sure, all church members are called to live out in a, a servant identity. However, there is a difference between being a servant and then 
being held up as a lead servant because there is a list of qualifications. So in order to be appointed as a deacon, the office of deacon, similar to how there is appointed office of elder, though all are ministers of reconciliation and all are ministers of the gospel, every member of the body of Christ is a minister in that sense. Elder is a special office and deacon is as well. So the nature of the office is leading others to serve by modeling service. In light of the gospel, all of this is by the grace of God. Therefore, it is an office for which one must be qualified to lead. There is a list of qualifications in 1 Timothy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that that be on the screen, the 1 Timothy. And I'm going to just read through these qualifications without doing a lot of exposition. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just try to explain the qualifications so we have some clarity. And as I do this, if you are a member of the Crossing Church, I want you to consider yourself. I want you to think, do I measure up? And then we'll get into why grace is important. So first, these are, these are qualifications both for male and female lead servants. Dignified, highly respectable, honorable, sober-minded, without any obvious, unrepentant, habitual character defect or sinful pattern that is holy and wise. So dignified, someone that other people want to be like. Not double-tongued, so you're not, marked, or you're not marked by being one way and then another way, but you're marked by honesty and integrity and trustworthiness. Not addicted to much wine. Of course, that implies you're allowed to drink wine, so there's that. Free of all mind-altering addictions. Spirit-led and self-controlled and able to maturely enjoy alcohol with a practice of healthy moderation. Or total abstination, or abstaining totally from alcohol is a way of life and is encouraged by, for many without any judgment or condemnation of others. The fourth one, not greedy or dis, for dishonest gain. So not a lover of money or possessions, um, eager in materialism for worldly gain. Not finan- you're financially stable and content. You're not anxious about the Lord's provision, but you trust him. Monetary transactions are held with integrity and, and you model cheerful generosity and not just giving of your money, but of your time. You hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So you're a believer, and for our purposes, you're a member of the Crossing Church. Sound in biblical doctrine and a good understanding of the essentials for orthodox belief. And you agree with the doctrinal statements of the Crossing Church. So we have those as a part of our membership process. So being a covenant member qualifies you in that way. Tested and proven blameless. So you're consistently demonstrating character by example, and that means repentance and belief again and again as an example to everyone else. So especially for your household if you are married and you have a family. The character of church leadership is above reproach. And so you're open and you're honest. All right, so in these, in in thinking through those, that's the qualifications of a lead servant But all of that should be filtered through a dependence on the work of the Spirit and the grace of God. You are unable to accomplish any of that on your own. No one is. But God is gracious, and he is faithful, and he gifts us in every way. So if you are gifted for the purpose of a deacon, then you'll see the grace of God in your life in in those ways. Additionally, there are qualifications for deaconesses, not slander. So, So you can get the idea that Paul is writing this and saying, Female deacons or deacon wives, it's possible that 
deacon wives served alongside their deacon husbands. That's certainly possible. Either way, we have female deacons. So he's, he's saying female deacons are going to be tempted more so in this way. So I'm not saying it. Paul is. It's the word of God. Not slanderous, a refusal to participate in any form of gossip, speaking falsely or maliciously of any individual, thus damaging reputation and causing division in the body. Sober-minded, so you're temperate. You're not prone to emotionalism or hyperbolism, and you're considerate of others, and you're thoughtful, and you're level-headed, and you're known for that. You're known for being rational and making wise decisions. Faithful in all things, so considered by others to be trustworthy in every area of life, devoted and consistent in, in all your roles. So disciple, wife, mother, daughter, sister, employee, employer, every role of your life, you're consistent, you're faithful. And then there are additional qualifications specifically for the men. So you get yours too. We get ours. I'm a man. Husband of one wife, so a one-woman man. And, he'd, and we'd, we'd add proactively resisting sexual temptation. Sexual purity and abstaining from any form of sexual lust. So in marriage, you are an example to the world and an example to the body of Christ of what Christ looks like towards his bride. You love and you honor your wife. And if you're single, then your relationships with with the opposite sex should be holy and, and honoring to Christ and an example to the church. And then the second one is managing children and your household well. So leading with Gospel fluency as a husband and as a father. Uh, you manage and you provide for your family spiritually, emotionally, physically. Provide for your family. Your, your family is an example to the church. If you're single and you, then you desire to have a household one day, then, then you should come alongside and prepare yourself to, to do that by sharing community with men who are doing that well. And then verse 13, we find rewards for those who serve as deacons. Gaining good standing. So those who serve well will gain good standing. As evidence of serving well, you will be honored and respected by people in and outside the church, all for the glory of God. And then second, you gain great confidence in the faith. So those who serve well will grow as evidence of their service. And and confidence in the power of the gospel and understanding of who the Lord is and how he works and moves in your service, you reap these benefits. All right, so there is this sacrifice to be a deacon. It's not an easy task. It's a calling. God has equipped you. God has gifted you. It's, sacrifice is required, and there is responsibility. There's, a, there's great reward, but there is great responsibility. And I'm going to discuss these more practically and specifically when we have our member meeting on April 27th. Because I want to get into some nitty-gritty of what the Crossing Church actually needs from deacons. What are our needs that deacons are going to fill? We have some specific roles. But until then, I want you to consider your calling, your qualification. For the purposes of this time, I hope that every believer who's been in attendance with us would first seek to be a covenant member and join up with us, be a part of this body. And then every member would aspire at the very least to examine yourself and your qualifications to be a deacon. All of this fueled by grace, centered around the gospel, to the blessing of this church and to the glory of God. This God-ordained organism, the church, is beautiful and complex and diverse and broken, yet somehow 
whole, and God is using us and moving in us and working through us for his glory. We're called and commissioned to make disciples of the world. And he's given us everything we need to do that, to be this family of missionary servants that we claim as our identity. This family. By the grace of God, we're family. Not like family. We are family. We love one another. We sacrifice for one, for one another. Whatever you would do for your biological family, you should so love your brothers and sisters in Christ, who is your eternal family. We, we are family in Christ. He's our Father. The Most High is our Father. We are brothers and sisters, children of God, co-heirs with Christ. We're not just family. We're royal family, kings and queens. We have been brought together and filled with all we need as this body for this mission. And by God's grace, we are sent on this mission as missionaries, sent disciple makers. We are on the mission of God, building the kingdom of God, spirit-empowered, sharing this mission as the body of Christ to the glory of the Father. And by God's grace, we are all servants. Servants of one another, servants of others, We don't serve because we have to. We serve because that's who we are. Servants. We serve because we've been designed to live out in this identity that Christ has established. So like our Savior, we humble ourselves and become servants. This is who we are. We proclaim it all the time. But I wonder, do you actually believe that to be true? Do you believe we are a family? Do you believe... We're, we're on a mission together as that family. Do you see your identity as a servant? Do we, do we strive to sacrifice and take up this mantle to carry our cross, to give again and again and again, to repent and believe and repent and believe? Do we have the faith to see the reality of who we actually are? Can we see the evidence of this in our life, the fruit of our faith? There is a measure of faith. And there is a way, there's a means to determine the measure of your faith. And that's our works. Obviously, the way you know if someone is a servant is by examining whether or not they serve. Is that person a servant? Are they serving? The only problem with this is we've grown proficient at faking it. We're really good at pretending to be something we're not. And and that's not how faith works. It's not try harder. Christianity has nothing to do with how much effort you put into it. It's about the sacrifice of Christ. And the way our faith grows isn't by working harder to believe. It's by resting. It's by depending more, trusting more in Christ. It's seeing and knowing and savoring Christ more and more. The way we see our faith grow is is to know Him, the object of our faith. He is infinitely big. He's everything we need Him to be and more. So growing in your understanding of who he is increases your faith, not trying harder to believe. Grow in your faith by growing in your knowledge of who he is and then trust him. We have an infinite Lord. He's planned it all out. Don't focus on you and your ability because you can't and you won't and you never will be able to. You yourself cannot provide for you what you need. It's, a, it's simple. It's, it's the same reason you go to specific mechanics when your car is broken down. Because you don't possess the skills and the materials to, to give your vehicle what it needs. So you bring it to the one who can. It's why you go to great restaurants. 
because you don't possess the culinary skills to create the feast you desire. So you go to the one who can. Right? It's that simple. Like, I, I have a torn ACL in my right leg. I'm trying to be young, play basketball. And my meniscus is torn, and that's really painful. ACL doesn't bother me as much. It's just I fall over sometimes. Uncomfortable. We would all agree that it would be ridiculous for me to just sit at home and take a knife, cut open my knee and check it out, see what I can do. It's ridiculous, right? Or even more ridiculous, if I, I have a scheduled surgery for Tuesday. If I go in for this surgery and I get home and I'm like, this is really uncomfortable. The recovery is much more painful than I thought it was going to be. I'm thinking he probably did something wrong. Woman, will you hand me that knife? I'm going to get in here and try to fix what he didn't do right. It's ridiculous. In a very real sense, Christ is the great physician. And he knows everything we need. He's got it all taken care of. No one said it's not going to be painful. No one said the recovery isn't going to be long. No one said you're not going to struggle, you're not going to suffer. In fact, he told us we would. But no one has suffered as he has suffered. He, has, he bears the weight of our sin, and then he leaves it in the grave. We're free from it. Experience the freedom by resting in him. Not trying really hard to believe it's true, but rest in what Christ has accomplished. See this list of qualifications? Know that you cannot be that person. But Christ is all of it and more. And he has clothed us in his righteousness. And we are saved not by our own works, but by the work of of Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. And he has sent us on a mission and not left us alone, but he is with us to the end of the age, equipping us in every way, joining us together, giving us every individual we need in this body and equipping every individual, gifting all of us. The Spirit gifts all of us in unique ways to add to this body. And we're better together. For Christ is our head to the glory of our King. On a spiritual level and in an eternal way, Christ has what we need, but do you trust him? Sure, you can find your happiness elsewhere. It's going to be temporary, but you can find it. And you can modify your behavior all you want to appear to be very moral for everyone watching. But you cannot remove any anxiety. You can't take away the fear or the oppression. You cannot find a peace that surpasses understanding. You can't find liberation from the things that plague your mind. You, you cannot prove to yourself that you're good enough and you know yourself. You're never going to find a hope that is sure outside of Christ. You're never going to find a joy that is eternal outside of Christ. He alone is sufficient. And church, He is sufficient. He's got everything we need. Do we trust Him? Do we believe in this gospel that draws us together to make us one body and sends us on this mission as a family of missionary servants. Jesus is more than we need. So if you see him rightly, with whatever amount of faith you can muster, if you see him rightly, it's all the faith you need. Just rest it in him. Make him the object of your faith, not your skills, not your abilities, not your, your, your trying hard to meet the qualifications, but Jesus is your hope. And then again and again, repent and believe. Because you're going to fall off. Again and again, repent and believe. 
Then we'll see the gospel fill our lives. Good news will fill your lives. And we will begin this transformational work of the gospel, one degree of glory to another. And we'll be devoted to the king as servants of the church, whether you're officially a deacon or not. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the ways in which we can see you are at work. I praise you for this church and how it's such a blessing to me. And I pray that we continue to be a blessing to one another. That it would not just be about gathering to sing songs and hear a sermon, but that we would feel ourselves motivated by love and a pursuit of joy to lay down everything that we would think could satisfy, to find all satisfaction in Christ, to enjoy the, the gifts of this world, good food and good fellowship and good fun and praise and worship to you every day of the week, to love the lost, to love the saved, to see you glorified in it all. I pray that you would help us as we desire to see deacons established and implemented as the Crossing Church. We want your spirit to direct us and who those individuals should be. Let it be those who are of good character and, and humble and, and, and diligent, faithful. Let it be that we as a body could recognize those individuals and affirm that. And Lord, be glorified. If we are astray in any way, swiftly discipline your children. Bring us nearer to you because that's what a loving father does. I ask that today, as, as your gospel has certainly been proclaimed, I pray that you would help us to respond to it. Show us how to trust you more. Show us how to rest in your grace. To know that we are forgiven and set free by the work of your gospel. And we are continued on this path of sanctification, though it may be difficult and painful, is certainly for our good. And so we praise you in whatever storm we may find ourselves in. We praise you in whatever good place we find ourselves in. Because you are deserving of it all. Be glorified, Father. Be glorified by your children. In Jesus' name, amen.